0: Hello, welcome, you're listening to Feed Play Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. How do you feel about Valentine's Day? Do you celebrate it with a romantic dinner with your partner or are you just happy to get to sleep by 9pm? Romance post-kids can feel a bit unattainable. So this Valentine's Day, I thought we'd take a closer look at this idea of love and romance. Jerry Karancis is an Associate Professor at the School of Psychology at Deakin University with a special interest in romantic relationships and caregiving. Hi Gerry, how are you?
1: I'm well, thanks. How are you?
0: Good, thank you. Do you think romance is still attainable after kids?
1: Well, I'd like to think that most parents think so, and we as researchers certainly think so. Um, There's enough studies out there to suggest that for many people experiencing romance throughout the course of their relationship, whether it be before children and whether it be after children, is there. There's no doubt that the evidence tells us that it ebbs and flows, as does how satisfied people are in their relationships. We know it takes a, a, a pretty big dive post the birth of children actually and it, <laughs> it, it, it continues to die for some time and I think that's important to highlight because I think sometimes people think well when's it going to recover I guess it's on a downward slope and that's that's the beginning of the end and it's not so you know many couples experience a downward slide actually unfortunately for a number of years but if they really were somewhat high in their romantic, Kind of satisfaction, you get those dips, but they're still at levels where they're still quite satisfied, just not where they were. And then there's a kind of a tipping point as parental responsibilities get just a little bit easier to manage. And I say just a yeah. little bit easier because <laughs> they are always challenging, right? Yes. Um, but as we start to see a little bit of light and go, oh, you know, not needing to get up all the time to, you know, to feed the baby or, you know, we're getting through those early toddler years where you can start to devote just a little more time and energy to the relationship, maybe you're able to get out a little bit more, we start to see a bit of a shift in satisfaction. And, and I think similarly with that, we can see movements where you know couples start to engage in a little more romance, romantic gestures, whether they can just have a bit more time to cultivate romance again. But as we said, it, it can take time and sometimes there can be, Uh, periods in the relationship where you're wondering whether the romance is going to come back.
0: And romance itself is a really interesting concept, isn't it? Because when I hear the word romance, I equate that with effort. (laughs) You know, like um, you're making gestures of love to someone, whether that's, I don't know, picking a flower out of your garden or writing a little love letter. They're always little gestures of love that are that, that require effort, that aren't just what goes on every day. Um, how would you define romance? That's the way I see it, but how would a researcher look at it?
1: Well, I guess in some ways we talk about those are the kind of ingredients that, that have people experiencing romance. I think it's a p- part of it when you think about it, when you unpack some of those things you were just noting, it's about paying attention to your partner and knowing, knowing what might be important to them understanding their needs, their wants, appreciating them, validating them, these are all part of what romance is too. I mean, when we unpack the science of love, we we typically would say that love doesn't just come in one variety. In fact, there are multiple forms of love. The two broadest forms of love that are most commonly researched and have been discussed for the last, you know, three, four decades is the distinction between romantic love and companionate love. Now, the reality is that both those types of love are necessary in a relationship for a relationship to go the distance. How much of each you need at any given time, that can vary. When we get into the early stages of our relationships, there's a lot of kind of romantic and passionate love where, you know, we have those highs, where we see our our partners when we go out on a date, we can't stop thinking about them, we might even become jealous if they're not spending as much time with us or not thinking about us in the same way, or other people are paying attention to our partners. There's all of those kind of strong emotions that we experience greater sexual activity, all those sorts of things that are really those early stages of romance where passion is high. And for a number of couples, passion does stay high. But one thing that we do know is that over the course of time, and especially during the years of parenthood, passionate love can wane. That is not uncommon. And it's not necessarily a problem, providing that there is some passion and romance there. But what It continues to increase progressively over the course of a relationship, and we're talking about years here, is this notion of companionate love, where you see your partner as a companion to share life's journey with, where you have a deep commitment, a deep sense of care, a deep sense of affection for them about their well-being and about you two sharing a life together. But also when we talk about companionate love, it does have some overlap with that notion of kind of romantic love. There are things that I talk about there that for many people are romantic. Mm. You know, uh, this notion of being able to exchange intimacy with, and I'm not just talking about sexual intimacy, I'm talking about emotional intimacy. You know, some people find it very romantic when the partner is being vulnerable or they're opening themselves up to, to a partner who's being vulnerable with them and they're being responsive and sensitive and what we do know is that disclosure does foster intimacy and closeness in relationships so there are many kind of ingredients that go into what is romance what is love but you know on some level all those things do require work and they do require effort and that doesn't mean that we need to use work in a negative way it's just i think anything that matters to us in our lives requires some degree of effort
0: Yeah, and we don't want to take someone for granted, which can happen when you get used to someone in your life who does lovely things for you that you might not notice. But I'm also wondering if perhaps uh, relationships and a dissatisfaction with romance in relationships can sometimes be influenced by what we see love as portrayed in movies and theatre, etc., Because there are so many people who get to a certain point of life that I've seen um, who just say, oh, you know, I'm not in love with my partner anymore, but he's a great dad and he's my best friend. Should I stay or should I go? And that seems to me not to recognize the fact that loving someone and being in love with someone can be two different things, but one doesn't necessarily mean the other's terrible.
1: Well, no, but, and we also do make the distinction in kind of research that we do and others have done is what's the difference between loving someone and being in love? And one of the biggest distinctions we make is that being in love also has that kind of sexual attraction and that passionate element to it, where you're physically attracted to someone and the like. I I don't think it's a very static thing either. I think people go through different stages of their lives where life is just hard, where the pressures of the world around us affect our mood, they affect how we interact with our partners and how our partners interact with us and those elements are often ignored when we talk about relationships i mean they are a complex enterprise that involves two people and when it's children involved it involves more than just you two even opportunities to you know hug and have a kiss can be interrupted with a little one in between your legs going hey what about me <laughs> um and so you know i think there are times where those opportunities are short-circuited And the reason that I raise that is because it's it's important to take pause and say, well, to some extent, is it that you're not in love with the person or that the environment that you're in and the stresses around you are acting like a block or as a barrier to doing the things that foster those feelings of love? I think that's important, you know, to consider. And here's one thing that I would say. Often people think that, you know, one of the big challenges, and we talk about relationships that are in trouble or relationships that are challenged, is about the negative things that are going on in relationships. Destructive conflict patterns where there's criticism, contempt, where people avoid having important conversations. It may be issues around infidelity. It can be issues around trust. It can be all kinds of things. But another thing that's actually very important in in explaining how relationships progress over time, is actually the presence or the absence of positive things. You know, the idea that we engage in pleasurable activities with our partners, and they don't need to be elaborate, like we're talking about Valentine's Day, they can be small gestures. It can be sharing in a joke, you know, it can be take, being a little bit lighthearted about something. You can be sitting down watching a favourite movie together or maybe a nostalgic movie that represented a particular important date that you are on or a milestone. Or even doing things with a family where the two of you are more connected as a couple. It, all of these kinds of things are important experiences that don't have to be particularly grand, that nevertheless provide opportunities for reconnection and they also act as reminders about the things that you actually really do love and the things that you are attracted to about a partner.
0: Mm. It's interesting you say that because I know, of course, that there are many parents listening to this who who won't be able to leave the home for Valentine's Day. So so if they want to do something nice, it's probably along the lines of those things you just mentioned. But I know that if I'm ever given the opportunity to have a lovely meal with my husband and to share a glass of wine or um, like you said, just to have fun as adults. We don't get that opportunity very often, but the times that we do, it's amazing how much more lighthearted our relationship feels.
1: Yeah, that's very much the case, I think. And I think you, you hear that anecdotally for various couples too that actually haven't gone out for a while and when they do, they go, oh, it was just like just like it was before we had kids or or we just picked up from where we left off or we had a great time. And then you just remind yourself, actually, when we don't have the pressures of the world around us on a day-to-day basis, we actually do have a good time with one another. We enjoy each other's company. We're able to relax and share in activities that we both enjoy. So I think there is very much that that goes on. And I think at any time when you have children, and especially for those parents who don't have a, a, a large social network where they can rely on family and friends to look after the kids, or during everything that we've experienced as part of the pandemic, you kind of are really stuck to, you, to your own devices. All you can really do is make the best of the challenging situation you're in. So whether you redefine what those suggestions are at times, I think is really important because it might be that, okay, you can't but you know, have a intimate meal together and share in a glass of wine as a couple, but maybe you can have a nice dinner as a family and maybe cook something that is actually special for, you and your partner, but that you share with your children. Maybe you might set the table, you know, a little bit fancier than usual. You might pull out some cutlery that's sentimental. Some of those things for some people might sound trite, but it is interesting what those gestures do. And often many of those things that we do are also nostalgic in nature. They remind us of a time when we experienced positivity. And enjoyment and nostalgia is actually a very positive and powerful emotion to experience, especially with our loved ones.
0: So, how does a scientific, psychological researcher into love feel about Valentine's Day? Are you for, against, indifferent?
1: I I would say that I'm somewhat agnostic. I think what really matters about Valentine's Day is what the couple wishes to do with it and how the couple wishes to celebrate it. It may merely be the exchanging of a card. It might be sitting down having a meal at home. It might be the gestures around flowers and chocolates and all those kind of stereotypical things we see that are marketed to us and alike. I don't think it matters what it is, providing that both members of the couple are on the same page about it. There are going to be those couples who scoff at Valentine's Day and go, well, you know, we don't need it. Uh, you know, it's a it's a marketing ploy. They're very cynical about it. But you know what? If both members of the couple are like that and they're comfortable and clear where they stand, I think that's okay, providing that those couples are still making efforts to cultivate their relationship. Just generally speaking, and that you know, members in a relationship are are kind to one another.
0: Jerry, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. That's Associate Professor Jerry Caranzis. He's from the School of Psychology at Deakin University. I'm Siobhan Hunt. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us so we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, send your email to feedplaylove at See you next time.